Hi, I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of January 2023, and is once again that very special time of the month wherein we do our very special Tales from the Shelf episode. And in joining me in this endeavor, I have my good buddy Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast. How's it going, Brad? It's going great. Glad to be here. And uh, I have to say that uh, this week's theme might be one of my favorites, uh, something I hold uh, very, very close to uh, my heart, I suppose. Yeah. So uh, the theme this month, uh, dear listener and or viewer, hopefully viewer, uh, is fantastic finales. Uh, essentially, what we do on a Tales from the Shelf episode is uh, take a little journey in exploring our film collections, our DVDs, our Blu-rays, and our 4K discs. Uh, and the theme for today's episode, this month's episode, uh, is films that happen to possess uh, fantastic finales. Uh, and we haven't exactly determined precisely what that means. Uh, finale can imply many, many things, but... Basically, in the broadest sense, we're talking about movies with uh, either wonderful climaxes, like final sequences, or perhaps simply just final shots or final oh, moments. Yeah. Uh, and I do know that that's a subject that in uh, some of Brad's most recent episodes of the Cinema Speak podcast, uh, you did mention a couple of movies that I think it was the final moments or the final shots uh, were a huge part of what earned it like so much of your praise. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm a I'm a big I, I, I usually say like, oh, it's it's more about the journey than the ending. And while I agree that it's true, I love a good ending. Um, And the ones recently, which I don't own, so I did not pull them off the shelf. But the endings of After Sun and Tar, uh, two amazing final shots, just so good. Um, so I kind of leaned a little bit more into final scenes and shots, although I do have a few um, climactic uh, finales uh, that I have sprinkled in there as well. Okay, good to know. So I actually had some difficulty uh, pulling titles off of my shelf that would fit this category. I, and as a result, I was cheating a little bit, probably. I don't know. We, we make up the rules as we go. It's Calvin Ball, the podcast. Um, I found myself picking movies with strong finales or strong climaxes rather than final like shots, uh, because in general, I think that's probably a harder thing to achieve. Um, but because of because of its difficulty and because of how memorable that makes a film like to, to stick the landing so solidly in the final shot, the final frame of your film, I feel like that makes it all the more memorable. Uh, however, I think maybe I discovered in looking over my collection, I don't think I have that many of those. Uh, so hopefully you can buffer things and, and you know, provide those sorts of films uh, over the course of this discussion. But um, it wouldn't be a Tales from the Shelf uh, episode if I didn't promptly toss Brad under the bus uh, and insist that he uh, share his first pick. So, uh, Brad, what is your first fantastic finale? Well, let's go with this one. Um, and it's a movie that uh, I really honestly, if I'm being totally honest, the only thing I remember about this movie is the final shot. Really like the movie. Only seen it once. But the final shot, I think, is uh, pretty 
amazing. It's a little bit, you know, into the zone of um, the uh, like the rat and the departed a little bit where it's like you could say, oh, it's a little too on the nose or whatever. But I think I think this is better than the rat and the departed. Not that I hate the rat and the departed. I mean, it's just it's classic. Um, but I am going to talk about Steven Spielberg's Munich, Munich, which um, <laughs> seems like a Spielberg movie that is a little bit forgotten, a little slept on. Um, I would say, let's see, what year did this come out? 2005, maybe I would say maybe his last really great movie, although I do really like War of the Worlds. Um his output the last decade or so hasn't been that great, but I, I think uh, Munich is very strong. Um, it is about the um, the uh, hostage crisis, the the Munich hostage situation, and then the the team that was sent to uh, hunt down the people responsible. And obviously, there's a lot going on in this movie because it's involving the Israel Palestine conflict. So, you know, and again, I don't remember much from the movie, so I'm not going to get into too many of the details with that because we could be here all day. But I will say that. Have you seen this movie, Trevor? I have. OK, um, this one doesn't really apply. But should we say like spoiler warnings for everything we talk about? on this? Uh, Actually, on this... yeah. Given given that we're specifically talking about the finale sequence or the or the final moments of. I hope some pretty good movies. <laughs> um, it would probably be wise at this point to say, you know, Hey, spoiler alert. It could happen. Know, so be careful. dear listener. And obviously this can't be done while we're streaming live here, but, and I don't want to put more work on your plate, but maybe we could potentially do timestamps uh, in the, uh, in the show notes potentially. So if like somebody hasn't seen Munich, they can jump ahead to the next one. I don't know. But I'm just, I don't want to put more on your plate. I'm throwing this on live in the recording so you can delete this after the fact if you don't want to do that. I'm but pulling anyway. up a notepad. I'm pulling up a file, Brad. <laughs> um, but Munich, uh, the final shot of Munich where um, it's Eric Bana and Jeffrey Rush have a conversation. Um, I did watch the final scene on YouTube today because I just wanted to a little bit of refresh myself. Um they kind of talk about the mission and Eric Bana Bana is saying, you know, was this all in vain? It seems like he's regretting a lot of the actions because he's not even sure the men he hunted down were responsible. And um, so he's grappling with that. And then obviously uh, he invites uh, Jeffrey Rush over to his place for dinner. And he says to break bread and Jeffrey Rush turns him down and kind of a little bit symbolic of like how, these conflicts, no matter what they are, they never end. It's just violence upon violence. But uh, the final shot, which is pretty amazing, um, even though it's not subtle, obviously, but uh, where a Eric Bana walks away and uh, obviously the movie takes place in the 70s or whatever. And we uh, pan over as he's walking away uh, to the New York skyline and we see a shot of the Twin Towers, um, which I, I would be curious if I had seen this movie uh, when it came out, like, you know, if the parallels would have been like very obvious while you're watching the movie. I watched this years after the fact. So like I wasn't totally thinking about, you know, nine 11, the war on terror and you know, that whole thing. Um, so that kind of final shot kind of really took me by surprise in a little way. It really is kind of like, I think like the perfect punctuation on that movie, um, tying it into something that was very, uh, 
relevant at the time and you know still relevant today and i i love that final shot you see the twin towers in the background not like you know it's i watch it because in my mind it was like the twin towers you seem like they're like like super like you know large in the frame center frame i mean they're they're off in the distance so it's not like super obvious um but yeah it's a great final shot directed by steven spielberg comes up uh yeah i i really don't remember much about this movie aside from that final shot so it's a it's a great finale it's a fantastic finale i would say (laughs) yeah I'd, i'd say that as well um i actually did not remember that final shot but now that you've uh, reminded me of it makes me kind of want to go back and rewatch that one. Um, I do remember enjoying it, but uh, much like you, the details are all very, very hazy. Um, I remember the cast being very, very strong. Uh, you had Eric Bana not exactly making the biggest impression, but uh, Craig, he he kind of jumped out. He he stood out from the pack quite a mm-hmm. bit. Yeah, and uh, I forget the pronunciation. Is it Siren or Kieran Hines? Uh, uh, I I don't know. <laughs> uh, g- perpetually grumpy faced man. <laughs> um, he was very good in it as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, obviously a politically charged and very divisive film in a lot of ways. Um, but a very well executed film on a technical and performance level. It is it is Spielberg after all. Um. It's funny, actually, that my like I wasn't alive when when the Munich attacks happened, but uh, my first encounter with it also came through film, uh, not through like a history book or like a classroom or anything. Um, it was if memory serves, I think Prefontaine uh, actually includes that, although the way it's portrayed in that film is from an observer's standpoint where he's. I believe that that portion of the games is canceled as a result of the attacks. But anyway, a uh, horrible thing that happened, uh, but a very, very good movie. And um, I'm glad you prefaced things by mentioning the departed uh, because that, that does have that, that aspect to it where it's like teetering on the edge of being a little too on the nose, a little too ham fisted, but you know, if it works, it works and it sounds like yeah. it worked for you. And even the departed, I, I don't like love it. It's not like I'm like, oh, that was good. But it's not it's he's not trying to pull a fast one on you. Like it's it's very like it's meant to be obvious. Like it's it's just it's classic. Like it's not meant yeah. to be subtle, which I think yeah. I think it works. Yeah, no, I mean the the music cue that hits in the departed, it's basically just the movie winking at you and saying, like, hey. <laughs> it's like that's cute, isn't it? It's like, yeah. Yep, that was a movie. <laughs> uh but thanks yeah. for sharing that, uh, Brad. Uh, I'll do my best. Uh, to keep a running uh, tag here of of our time codes for spoiler alerts and whatnot. Um, and I'm actually going to assign you some homework uh, on the fly here, if you don't mind. All right. Uh, as, as I'm working on selecting my next pick. So uh, if you could go to your settings and uh, toggle the mirror camera function, uh, because I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I I I have a I have a little bit of trouble reading titles backwards. That's just a me thing. But there yeah. we go. You got it. Thank there you. There we go. Okay. So I suppose the ball is to me. So um, what am I gonna pick? I have way too many titles set aside. I'm probably gonna drop something. <laughs> Shit. Uh, okay. So this is a movie that we did review on Catching Up on Cinema uh, in its entirety. Uh, and a movie that I've owned 
twice now, I think, maybe three times, uh, including a initial purchase in the form of a bootleg. Uh, so I have here a uh, Delta Mac. <laughs> Uh, Delta Mac label. Uh, this is a Hong Kong label. Uh, Blu-ray of uh, Wilson Yip's uh, SPL. Uh, Sat Polong. Um, I forget what that what uh, each individual character means, but there is an on-screen uh, description uh, as to what the title of the film refers to, and apparently it's uh, something to do with astrology. Um, it's like stars uh, assigned to you at birth that have to do with your your lot in life, your fate. Um, and it doesn't take a genius to figure out that each one of these stars, uh, each one of these fates uh, is assigned to one of the three main characters in the film. Um, and basically all of them have real bad fates uh, in store for them. Um, and as a result, uh, the finale of this film, and I'll have to take note of the time code. It is 1350. <laughs> um, the finale of this movie uh, is a uh, just a, a masterclass of martial arts action cinema. Uh, this is Donnie Yen, uh, Sammo Hung, uh, a very, well, not very, but a young Wu Jing, uh, who is now basically the king of the, the mainland Chinese box office. This is a Hong Kong production, um, but he's basically he he's the he's the biggest name they've got right now uh he did the wolf warrior movies and i think they have a sequel to the wandering earth coming out very soon um if it's a chinese blockbuster that has like all the celebrities in it he's probably headlining it in this he doesn't even he's dubbed because i don't think he speaks cantonese and he's just here to throw hands it's pretty cool like he has some really spectacular action sequences um, but it's interesting to see him so early in his career. But anyway, the fantastic finale of SPL um, begins with perhaps one of the best weapon-based fight sequences in film history between Donnie Yen and Wu Jing. Uh, it's a it's a uh, extendable police baton wielded by Donnie Yen versus a short dagger wielded by Wu Jing. Um, it's basically a fence. It's a modern day fencing match with uh, obscure weaponry. Um, and it's three minutes of heaven. It's one of the best things ever committed to film. <laughs> um, followed immediately by Donnie Yen uh, getting in an MMA fight with Sammo Hung, uh, who is obviously up there in years by the time they're getting this film, uh, which came out in, uh, I think it was like 2004, 2005. Um, but it's a it's a terrific fight unto itself uh, it ends really funnily with with Samuel hung getting flipped over donnie yen's head in like a spectacular wire gag onto a champagne tower it's like that that was a little over the top that looked like something out of a, a wwe hardcore match that looked like something <laughs> mankind would have done back in the day but i'll allow it um but the real kicker the real like when we're talking fantastic finales because i just talked about all the cool stuff uh, the real drama uh, of the finale of this movie comes in the form of the the aforementioned not-so-hot fates uh, in store for the main characters of this movie. Uh, this is like a super... This is like the opposite of the mega-happy ending, uh, to use Wayne's World parlance, Brad. Uh, so, again, full spoilers. Um, the actual main character of the movie is portrayed by Simon Yam, 
uh, who's basically a Chinese actor that shows up in literally everything. Um, and he's very, very good in everything, including this. Um, he has had, uh, I believe, a tumor uh, in, in his brain the entire movie uh, that overtakes him in the final moments of the film. But before that, Donnie Yen, after having just defeated Samuel Hung, uh, is tossed out a uh, skyscraper window by Samuel Hung. At which point his body plummets out the window and falls onto the nearby car of Samuel Hung's wife and child, oh, thereby wow. killing the two of them. <laughs> wow. So Donnie Yen, the, the man who very seldom dies in cinema, his death count is probably on par with Steven Seagal in terms of times you've seen him die on camera. Like Steven mm-hmm. Seagal, it's like executive decision. That's basically it. Maybe he died in Machete. I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> he was in Machete. I remember that. <laughs> I don't even remember that. Yeah, but Donnie Yen gets tossed out a fucking window. He gets to win the fight because it's Donnie Yen and he does have an ego. It, it was the 2000s. He was stroking his dick for sure, yeah. but he gets tossed out that window. He falls on Samuel Hung's wife and child, thereby killing them. And then we cut to Samuel Hung crying in his lap. <laughs> because he just oh my god I just killed my wife and baby by tossing a really absurdly handsome man on them <laughs> <laughs> cut to Simon Yam on the beach with his adopted do- with his I think it's his adopted daughter and he dies while she's playing on the beach unaware that her, her adopted father has died so he's like sitting on the beach in his suit like his head just like bowed in his lap while she's running around playing on the beach and there's sad, sad music playing and just like shuts to black. It's just like, oh, my God, <laughs> like this movie sucks. <laughs> like I was having Downer. fun ten minutes ago and now everybody's fucked. How's that girl going to get home? <laughs> she can't drive. <laughs> Is uh, like so the rest of the movie, does it hint at uh, the ending being such a downer or does it kind of come out of nowhere? Uh it actually does. It has an atmosphere to it. It's a very good movie. Um, I mean, you, you come for the for the martial arts and the action, but you stay for the, the Hong Kong melodrama because literally every character in this movie has some sort of business going on. That's like it's either they have fam- like family issues or like they're dealing under the table or something like everybody's doing some underhanded shit or has some regrets. Um, and there's just so many instances of just the movie trying to rip your guts. out. <laughs> like there's, there's a, a, a scene where two characters, two major characters, both reconcile with important people in their lives and are immediately murdered. <laughs> like, like the one guy's like on the phone with his dad or no, it's with his mom who tells him his dad just died but forgot to tell him <laughs> and before that his partner they're both cops before that his partner is like he has a, a sit down like get together with his daughter who he's largely estranged from because i think he's divorced and like the second his daughter leaves to get on a bus to go home he gets stabbed to death <laughs> and then the same guy Wu Jing, uh, stabs his partner to death and it just keeps happening in the movie <laughs> It's almost like the classic um, like TV trope of, you know, that well, like right before a character bites it, they start to give that character more screen time 
and uh, like kind of wrap up any potential loose threads, like give them some emotional weight so that when they do end up dying, it makes their death all the more shot like affecting and like, oh, my gosh, we've just spent the last five episodes with this person. We love them now. Um, kind of reminds me of that a little bit. Oh, yeah. No, that's a very familiar trope where it's like it's so familiar to the point that like whenever I'm watching something and you start to notice that it's like, I don't think this person's going to be around right yeah. <laughs> like especially if they're like a guest star or something or it's like. I don't think they got them for the whole season. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, SPL highly, highly recommended. I mean, I know I just like spoiled the whole damn thing for you, Brad, but it's a it's a it's an enjoyable movie on top of all that. Like, like, really, this was a this was kind of leading the charge of like the, the 2000s Hong Kong action revival because this was this came out like post Ong Bak, I believe. And so that was like a shot across the bow of the the Hong Kong stunt industry where it's like, oh, we, we better step up our game. <laughs> like people in other regions are doing some incredible stuff. We should we got to try something different. So this was like one of the first uh, Hong Kong productions to utilize like mixed martial arts in the in the choreography style. And plus the cast, like especially in retrospect, especially now that Wu Jing is like the biggest thing in China. Like you got Donnie Yen, Samuel Hung, and Wu Jing all in the same movie, all doing pretty extensive action work. It's it's a good time. Yeah, I mean that one. It almost sounds like you get a twofer kind of finale because you get the um, the fight you said was great, and then the also the you know emotional moment at the end there. So, boom. Yeah, yeah. It's a very well rounded film. It's it's a uh, one of. Donnie Yen's better collaborations with Wilson Yip. This was actually their first one together. The two of them would end up doing many films together, including the the Ip Man films. Uh, so very highly recommended if you if you find an occasion to check it out. But uh, that's enough out of me about SPL. Excuse me while I take down the time code uh, so as to not spoil things. Um, Listen, Brad, this could be too much work. You can we can abandon this. Uh, I don't want. I, sh- I meant to bring it up beforehand, but I'm committed, Brad. It's happening. Uh, that being said, Brad, what is your next fantastic finale? All right. So my next fantastic finale. This is uh, something I know I've talked about on Tales from the Shelf before, but I would be remiss if I didn't bring it up because it is one of my all time favorite endings. We're talking about uh, the Before Trilogy, Richard Linklater's The Before Trilogy, but we ain't talking about Before Sunrise. We ain't talking about Before Midnight. No, we're talking, throw those in the trash. We're talking about Before Sunset, which, so where do I even start with this? Um, So it's a trilogy, it's a love story trilogy, basically in Before Sunrise Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy meet each other on a train uh, going to Paris and they spend um, just a whole day walking around, talking and getting to know each other, fall in love. But they're both live in different countries. But they say, hey, one year from today, we'll meet back here and we'll if we want to, you know, somehow pursue this in a year from now, we'll try it. But we'll meet back here one year. And so this jumps ahead like nine years I think. Um, and we 
meet up with Ethan Hawke, who is a author now. Um, he is married, not to Julie Delpy, but um, to somebody else. He's got a kid and uh, he uh, ends up doing a book tour and making a stop in Vienna. And uh, Julie Delpy sees that he's coming to the city and sees that um, she's like, oh, yeah, yeah. The guy from, you know, nine years ago. Turns out they never met up a year later. It just it fell through. But the this one is very similar in that they're walking around. But this one's a little different because they're older. And the whole thing is Ethan Hawke. I really hate these. Co- I really hate these covers. They're just gross. I, I was don't about like to say, them. You guys show the other ones for just a second, because that rendering of Ethan Hawke is, I hate to say it, but kind of hideous. Yeah. Handsome man, but terrible rendering. I, I you know, it kind of bugs me because uh, I remember uh, I talked about this in my top 10 criterion release video on YouTube, and uh, I got a comment from a guy who. He had he had many bad things to say about me in the video, but one of the things was he was like, "Those I think those covers are really beautiful. Don't you think they're trying to emulate the rotoscope that Richard Linklater does with his other films?" And I'm like, "Buddy, I don't know about that. Uh, and for even if they are, this movie ain't rotoscoped. This ain't rotoscoped, buddy. You think you're gonna put a, a, a tin tin looking cover on fucking Munich? Let's go. What are we doing here? Those are different movies. Come on now." That cover of Before Sunrise, he looks like Jay Baruchel, not <laughs> or Baruchel, does, however yeah. his name is pronounced. Yeah, not good, <laughs> not not a good cover. But anyway, amazing movies. And um, so in Before Sunset, they're walking around. The whole thing is uh, Ethan Hawke is on this book tour and he has a plane to catch. So this movie is a tight 80 minutes, almost plays out all in real time. And um, basically, it's them walking around, getting to know each other. But the whole movie, Ethan Hawke is like, oh, I got to get to the airport, catch my plane. But yeah, you know, let's go grab a coffee. Uh, you know, yeah, I got to get to the airport soon. But uh, OK, I'll walk over there and see where you work. But they keep walking around. He keeps going. Yeah, I got to get going to the airport. But uh, I got a few more minutes. And it's kind of like you're wanting them to get together. But, the, you know, there's like a ticking clock this time. And the ending, which is so good, is that it gets to the point where he's like, man, I'm going to be late, but maybe, you know, if traffic is okay, my driver, you know, I'll be able to just get through security. I'm going to, it's going to be close, but, um, she invites him to her apartment. She's like, well, why don't you come over and come see my place? And he's like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, you're, it's going to be close, but we don't want you to miss that plane. And he's like, I'll come up. I'll just come up real quick and check it out. They get to her apartment and they start talking and, um, they start talking about uh, Nina Simone and she is talking about a, a Nina Simone concert she saw or something. And she puts on a Nina Simone record and she puts the record on and she starts dancing to it uh, in like, a you know, it's kind of sexy fashion. And he sits down on the couch. He takes off his coat. And while she's dancing to this Nina Simone song, she goes, baby, you are going to miss that plane. And obviously that plane is to take him. I forget if it's, to, if it's to his next stop, but either that or home to his wife and child. And she says that and he just goes, I know. And uh, fades to fades to black. And that's where we leave it. We don't we never see them kiss or hook up. She just says, you're going to miss that plane. And he goes, I know. And so that's how that's how that one ends. And I just think that's such an amazing ending uh just su- such a like a sexy ending but leaving it still kind of open-ended but with the way he delivers that line is just um, amazing um so yeah it's 
it's one of my honestly all-time favorite movies uh and a lot of it comes down to that ending um and how they play that scene so it's 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 a good one yeah uh folks at home if you're not aware brad has has spoken very highly of this trilogy of movies several times in our conversations over the years and i still to this day have have yet to see them but um just hearing you talk about just now it's like yeah you can tell this man loves these movies (laughs) 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 but uh yeah that sounds fantastic in fact that that's almost like a, a a season finale not a film ending yeah and it's kind of even crazier um because i didn't see this the first two movies until i knew about the third one coming out um so having seen this and it just being a sequel to a movie from nine years earlier no guarantee that there would be a third movie that is a pretty bold place to leave what could be the final chapter on their story obviously it wasn't but at the time we didn't know we'd be getting a third movie um so i think that is even more of a like kind of daring bold ending just to leave it essentially totally open-ended but you can read between the lines enough that he uh and you know i guess it is kind of shitty of him but he ended up you know he did leave his wife for this woman he met in paris nine years ago but uh obviously from our perspective it's what we wanted him to do because we had that moment together and with them in the first movie yeah i mean that that's the essence of drama. It's like that. That's actually kind of a interesting thing that I'm starting to realize not everybody's okay with. Like uh, some people can't handle like, like having disagreements with, or like quote, not liking their, their characters or their protagonists, like an unlikable protagonist is just like the ultimate turnoff for some people mm-hmm. when it comes to their, their personal viewing habits. So to have, your central character do something like that, even if it like plays into where the, where the narrative is, is guiding us, even though on some level we're wanting to see that happen just for our own selfish delights. Like some people I could see that just being like, Oh, well, I didn't like that. That, that feels weird. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. But, but yeah, that, that sounded fantastic. The way you laid out the scene like that. Yeah. And it's also I think- too. Yeah. And I think it's also a little worth noting is that um, because they in the last movie, they said, we'll meet back here in one year. Um, They meet up in this movie and uh, Julie Delpy, her character, she goes, yeah, you you didn't show up a year later in Paris, right? Like you didn't show up. And he goes, no, 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 I didn't show up. I didn't show up either. Um, But then later in the film, he does admit that he ended up showing up and she didn't. So he was carrying that torch for her and he kind of when she didn't show up, he thought he'd never see her again, which is one of the reasons why he moved on and got a wife. So there's, you know, it, there's more to it than just him, you know, leaving his wife for some French girl. He barely knows. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure it's a very complex film and very complex series for that matter. And I really would like to see it. Richard Linklater is just one of those filmmakers that I need to explore more of his filmography in general. Especially because, like, I don't know, his name's been popping up a lot lately. There's just mm-hmm. something in the air. So I've had him on his mind the past couple of days. Um, and, in fact, it's kind of a weird thing that doesn't exactly tie things together in a neat little bow. But uh, Kyle and I just reviewed uh, Top Gun Maverick uh, the other day uh, for, for catching up on cinema. 
And I guess uh, the one cast member, Glenn Powell, um, mm. who I only <laughs> I only knew him from the Expendables three <laughs> where he did fuck all. Uh, he climbs an air duct, folks. That's his contribution to that film. Uh, apparently, he's worked with Richard Linklater at least twice. Uh, so like like the way I thought of that, it's like, hmm. Like he must be doing something right if he's getting the attention of a director like like Linklater. Yeah, I think that's where I first saw Glenn Powell uh, was in Everybody Wants Some. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I I like Linklater quite a bit. There's definitely some blind spots even for me that I still haven't seen that I need to fill in. Yeah, I mean he has a fairly dense filmography, so it's it's okay if you don't see him all immediately. But you'll you'll get there, Brad. Give it time. Yeah. Um. Great pick. Uh, makes me really want to check out that trilogy, but um, I need to mark the time code. It's just about 33-ish. Sure. <laughs> okay, so I suppose the pick is to me, uh, and uh, <laughs> I guess the only way this connects to anything uh, that Brad just said, yeah, everything that guy just said is bullshit, um, <laughs> uh, is the fact that this is also a... Uh, part of a trilogy although yours was the middle chapter correct yeah yeah mine is the final chapter uh but it is part of a trilogy and it does come in a cute little box uh so this is one way that those two picks are connected i i'm trying folks give me give me a break uh okay here so i have here uh from everybody's favorite uh blu-ray distributor uh and publisher mill creek entertainment um, this has also been put out by the uh, Arrow group, uh, who do probably a much better job of handling these particular discs, but uh, they also charge quite a lot more uh, than Mill Creek. Uh, I have here the Gamera Trilogy. Uh, this is the Shusuke Kaneko Trilogy of 90s uh, Gamera films. Uh, Guardian of the Universe, uh, Attack of Legion, and the Revenge of uh, Iris or Iris. Uh, so uh, this is all three films collected in two clamshell cases, which is kind of obnoxious. <laughs> like, I don't like that. Don't like yeah, that. I really don't like that either. Especially, ooh, yeah, there's a there's an asymmetry in the uh, presentation of the Milk Creek labels as well. Uh, two different labels on two different clamshells in the same Yikes. box. Yikes. Brad is just puking in his lap. I'm sorry, bud. <laughs> so uh, specifically, though, I am referring to the last chapter, uh, which is Gamera 3, uh, Revenge of Iris or Iris. Uh, two different pronunciations doesn't really matter. Uh, so this, uh, this movie is very, very good. All three of these movies are very, very good. Um, Wait, not not to interrupt you here, but yo. the is the first because there's only the two cases. Does the first case have one and two, and three has its own? Yeah, don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, Brad. Yeah, I don't either. One of these days, I will upgrade to the the Arrow version. Um, if only because I, I bet you they handle the translation and the the image quality just better in general. Uh, but yeah, uh, this is a this is a fugly package. I mean, the the cover art is nice, and the fact that it comes in a box is kind of nice. But yeah, the two cases for three films, <laughs> not exactly not exactly the best. Also, this cover art is uh, somebody spent two and a half minutes on that. 
Like, like really, it's yeah. just like two production photos lazily slapped together. Um, and even the font is, it feels disingenuous. Like it just lacks any sort of impact. <laughs> Anyway, the fucking movie. <laughs> so, so this trilogy of movies is very, very highly regarded uh, among like Daikaiju cinema. Uh, that's giant, giant rubber suited monster movies from Japan. Um, these kind of like swooped in out of nowhere and blew people away um, just because the, the level of production quality um, and the style of the presentation was just so beyond anything that was being done in the genre because you need to remember that like there were Godzilla films contemporary to these that were very very fun and very very colorful but they were you know pitching straight down the middle they, they weren't exactly breaking the mold in terms of special effects technology or like really groundbreaking ideas in terms of presentation but these ones, they they have a, a unique feel to them because a lot of the storytelling is imparted via uh, news reports and ambient dialogue. So just like commotion that you just like, it's not exposition dumps delivered by the main characters or whatever. It's usually just like a, a talking head news anchor that happens to be on in the background while those characters are eating lunch or something. And it, it just lends a sense of reality to things that you see emulated in so many contemporary movies of this sort. Uh, it's it's really it's, it has a really cool feel to it when it's done well, as it is done in these films. But in this third one, um, it's the end of a trilogy, so I'm not going to go over everything that happened. Um, but there's a lot of plot revelations as to the nature of the giant flying turtle, Gamera, and what he means and how he relates to humanity. Um, and the whole narrative is largely centered around a young girl uh, whose uh, family uh, was killed during the events of the finale of the first film in the trilogy. So they they, ret- they retcon her into the story. So they actually use stock footage of that finale sequence from the first film in the trilogy, and they show it in black and white, and they show that one of the buildings that the fucking turtle th- fell through, her parents were in. Um, so unlike many people in in the fiction of Gamera, uh, she doesn't appreciate him. Like he saved the world at least twice uh, over the course of the past several years, um, but she's she has a personal grudge against him because you know her, her parents are dead, um, and also she ends up being directly connected to the villain of this film. Um, it grows stronger uh, as a result of uh, exploiting. Uh, her emotions and her life energy um it, it's a whole complicated thing anyway the the final the final sequences of the film are very special effects heavy really incredible stuff one of the only uh indoor uh giant monster fights i can recall uh of this scale uh, it takes place in i think it's the kyoto train station so it's it's like the miniatures there's a ceiling something that you don't see in these kinds of movies very often. Um, anyway, she ends up changing her mind about how she feels about Gamera just a little bit um, because he selflessly saves her uh, while fighting the other monster. Um, and the closing moments of the film involve a giant swarm of creatures that have proven to be very, very difficult to kill over the, pa- over the events of the past several films. Um, such that it's like basically hopeless 
like you look up in the sky and you just see it blackened by all these flying creatures. It's like, so the, the, the big turtle's got one hand, uh, he's got a hole in his stomach and he's the only one that's going to try to fight these things. <laughs> um, and the, the music swells and uh, the entire city's on fire and uh, all of our main characters watch the big turtle, the big dumb turtle uh, march out to what appears to be, you know, his last stand, I guess. Um, but there's a, in spite of like how hopeless things appear, I, I think it's heavily implied that we're actually going to survive that. Um, and a lot of it has to do with the story kind of pointing to like the big turtle is as strong as, as our belief in him. Um, and through small moments, like, like him saving the girl who previously hated him. It kind of has a vibe that's like, I, th I think humanity is ready to back the turtle right now. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's combination of like this, this looming presence of doom, but also this feeling that's like, you know what? I, I think, I think it's going to be okay. Um, but we don't even get to see what happens. Just like this beautiful piece of music swells, uh, the theme music, and then the title of the film appears and then we cut to credits um, really? and, a cheesy, and a cheesy ballad. Yeah. That's, that's the end. I like that. Yeah, it, it's pretty ballsy to to like deny you the big slam bang action finale or yeah. whatever, but but also kind of like plant the seeds into your head as to what probably is going to happen. Um, but it's, it's a very mature way to to end a film series, honestly. Like it, you don't see that level of restraint very often in this in movies like this. Yeah. Now, um, Gamera, that's. If I'm wrong, let me know. But that's the one where there's like the two distinct eras, right? Or there's at least three, actually. Oh, OK. Uh, may maybe two. But there was a brief attempt to revive the, the series uh, in the 2000s, uh, several years. I think it was like 2006. Um, and it was also targeted at a younger audience. It's not a bad movie by any means. Um, has a really cool uh, enemy monster. It's like a, a frilled lizard with a with a like javelin like tongue. <laughs> but um, and also uh, funny, funny, it comes up. Uh, they actually announced not too long ago that I think there's going to be an animation project uh, for Gamera hmm. uh, soon, uh, which is not what I want. <laughs> but you know we're getting it so you know whatever like everything we got <laughs> like if it's a franchise bring it back it's yeah like, no, I, I don't i don't need that but <laughs> because i didn't I'm, I'm a i'm a hardcore godzilla fan i didn't even bother with the netflix animation like it's like you know it looks cool just don't care <laughs> animation is for babies no i'm joking <laughs> oh but... brad i wish you had your soundboard <laughs> <laughs> i know right <laughs> uh but yeah that was gamera 3 um i highly recommended all three of those movies i think they're fantastic for, for whatever the fuck reason we've only reviewed the second one for catching up on cinema kyle really wanted to watch that one for some reason i don't know if he's even seen the other two i doubt it um, but we did review that one several years ago. I don't expect we'll be reviewing the other two. <laughs> so is that trilogy like one era or? Yes. Okay. All all one director and all one era as well. I might have to pop on that. That. Well, 
I know how it ends, so I guess not. But um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, and uh, I mean, it's very small part. Of <laughs> but don't um, need to see it now. So thank you. <laughs> but um, I will point out that uh, the director Shusuke Kaneko, uh, Toho, uh, the the company that makes Godzilla, um, they they didn't poach him, but I'm going to use that word. They they poached him uh, a few years after this trilogy wrapped. Uh, to actually direct a Godzilla film. Um, and, it, and it's a very good one. Um, he seems to have a, a gift for, for this particular genre, even though I think those four movies are the only ones he's ever done. Um, but it was kind of neat to see the guy who did such a wonderful job with that other monster, like do a good job with the the more arguably the more popular one. Yeah. Well, yeah, I definitely... Gamera is something I want to get into sometime. Maybe maybe I'll pick up those uh, Arrow releases, although I think they might be out of print. Uh, yeah, I think they're getting up there in price. I know yeah. the the box that combines the two is ludicrously expensive. Maybe um, that's what I'm thinking of. But I think the two separate ones are sub fifty dollars. Oh, um, OK, so they're not they're not crazy, but they're they are pricey. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, the the older ones, uh, the Showa era ones, uh, those could make for for good watch alongs with some of your buddies or something, uh, because they do get plenty ridiculous. Um, and you need to keep in the back of your mind that they're for kids as well. Um, and just tally the instances of grotesque violence that occur in those movies. <laughs> it's like, hang on, is that bat creature going to have? Oh, it had all of its limbs chopped off. And its head for kids. <laughs> They're great. Uh, the Mystery <laughs> Science Theater 3000 people made liberal use of the, the Gamera library mm. of films back in the day. <laughs> okay, well, that's enough out of me uh, yakking about giant rubber monsters. Uh, I don't expect you'll have one of those for your next pick, Brad. But what is your next fantastic finale? Next one. It's a little bit of an obvious one, I got to be honest, but uh, I got to do it. I got to do it. And that is uh, what I would say my favorite Quentin Tarantino film is Inglorious Bastards. Um, this one has just continued to grow for me. Uh, I, I've loved it ever since I first saw it, but I, I do think it is my favorite of his. Um, I do have the 4K here unopened, purchased on Black Friday, still unopened. Um I've heard there's a few issues with the uh, transfer, but it was 10 bucks. So I said, hey, why not? Um, but uh, the ending, I mean, there's not much to say. Obviously, there's the whole um, theater, uh, you know, uh, heist. Well, not heist, but uh, plan and execution of that. And then cutting, obviously, to uh, Brad Pitt and uh, BJ Novak as they're uh, being led out into the forest by uh, Christoph Waltz um, to be essentially handed over. And they're going to take him prisoner because he's made a deal for himself. Uh, but then obviously when they go back on the deal and uh, Brad Pitt says, Hey, we're going to honor that deal that was made, but we're going to, you know, uh, do a little bit of damage here to you first before uh, we turn you in. And the idea of finally showing him uh, cutting the the uh, swastika into the forehead is an awesome kind of like final uh, like bit of gore there to finally deliver on that promise. And of course, the the final shot from uh, 
uh, Christoph Waltz's perspective with uh, Brad Pitt and BJ Novak looking over him, looking down at the uh, swastika uh, mutilation on his forehead and Brad Pitt saying, I think this might be my masterpiece, which I, I like. I, I don't think it's too winking. I think it's I think it's it's cla- again, it's classic. It's not I don't think it's too corny at all. I think it's classic. Um, I don't know. I feel like I think Tarantino is uh, walked that back and said that maybe it's not his masterpiece. I think he maybe says once upon a time is that Hollywood is his best movie. Now I feel like I've heard him say that. So I don't know if it loses a little, uh, a little weight because of that. Cause old Quentin's uh, flip flopping on his uh, favorite movie of his, but uh, I think it's his best movie. Two and a half hours flies by every chapter is amazing. It's, it's awesome. And uh, yeah, the ending is really good. And the music that plays in the ending, I don't know what it is it's obviously not um an original score uh because this there's no original score in this movie um but that track that plays over that ending scene and the closing credits is perfect like just so good um and yeah i love uh inglorious bastards yeah you and a lot of other people man (laughs) like i think uh my regular co-host on catching up on cinema kyle i think he i don't know if he's if that's his favorite Tarantino movie, but I know he absolutely loves that movie. And a lot of, a lot of people in my orbit also love that movie. And then there's my ass who must've been on like having a really shit day or something. (laughs) I I just don't really have an opinion of it. Mm -hmm. Like, Like I, I, it, I'm sure it was good. I can't imagine it wasn't, but for whatever reason, my memories of that movie are, very fragmented um and i don't i don't know what the fuck happened <laughs> during my viewing of that because like i'm i be i've done hundreds of episodes of podcasts talking for hours and hours about shittier movies <laughs> and somehow for whatever <laughs> reason that one went in one eyeball and out the other one <laughs> but what i'm trying to get at is i think i am due for a rewatch because i'm frankly a little bit embarrassed no like really because like a lot of my friends that's like who's top five top three one of my favorite movies ever and i'm like really (laughs) like i don't fucking remember it like i remember the beginning i remember the part in the theater i I remember slivers i don't remember the whole thing um so yeah i'm very much due for a rewatch um and even as you're telling me the finale i'm like i don't remember that shit (laughs) oh yeah 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 but uh, I'm not I'm not I'm not making fun of you, Brad. I'm making fun no. of myself, my inability to remember what it was probably a very good film. I just I love how it's like because it's five chapters, essentially. And in a way, each chapter is almost like one long scene. Each one is like a, a long scene. Like there's obviously um, like looking at the second chapter, there's the whole scene with it kind of it's broken up because I, if I'm remembering right, it starts with um, the maybe that's actually probably not right, but it's it basically like we meet this uh, German soldier who is recounting the story of running into the bastards to Hitler. And then we're within, we're within that story being re- told from this German soldier's perspective, this Nazi's perspective. Then we're seeing things that happened to him and his squad. And from there we're hearing, Lieutenant Aldo rain discuss things and we're flashing back to other things, but it's, it's essentially like one long scene and each chapter is kind of like that. It's just a long scene that's broken up into different 
you know, cutaways and flashbacks, but they're all kind of one long scene that plays out. And I, I just think it's just this movie flies by because of that. It, it's so watchable. Every time I watch it, I have a newfound appreciation for it. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think it's his best. And I don't know if it's because there's such a lack like, I guess Django and Hateful Eight are like this as well, but he isn't relying on pop culture stuff or old Hollywood stuff. Like, there's a little bit of that, obviously, um, with, like, the, the movie theater stuff, but it's not, like, bad. And not that I dislike that stuff, but it just feels like this one's a little, I guess, uh, t- more timeless, even though his other stuff is kind of timeless, because, like, once upon a t- time in Hollywood, it's... You know, even they're talking about much older things, but I, I, yeah, it's just one that it's, it's my favorite of his. Duly noted. Um, like I said, I'm very much due for rewatch. Um, I don't know if the girlfriend's seen that one, but uh, if she hasn't, then that's a good excuse to get me to rewatch it and her to, to be introduced to it. Um, I'll have to text Kyle, let him know that I can't remember it very well. He'll probably just be like, can we like, do an episode like like an emergency episode like right now because he yeah. <laughs> he also really really loves that movie mm-hmm. uh, so I, I got here I am with egg on my face <laughs> struggling for things to say about it it happens um, it happens I mean at least you have seen it I mean it's not like a blind spot for you so yeah I did um, I remember uh, Hateful Eight uh, Ineo Morricone uh, is credited with the the score. Yeah, that was his first collaboration with him, right? Yeah, I think of unless I'm wrong, I think it's his only movie that has an original score. Everything else is like just soundtracked, you know? Okay. yeah, uh, because I know uh, in uh, Django, he actually he actually lifted music from the original Italian Django films, I believe. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe the the music that you're referring to is borrowed from perhaps like a, a an older film. Yeah, uh, I think I think it might be. Um, well, I don't know what. Uh, yeah, I have no idea. But <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, it looks uh, like it I'll, is. I'll, uh, it might be Morricone. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, he is the maestro um, and clearly he has a particular affinity for him. So that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, excellent pick, Brad. I, I hope you crack that. 4k open soon uh, let me know how it turns out I'll, I'll get to it i'll get to it <laughs> all right well uh my next pick uh i suppose ball is to me uh okay i'm gonna go with this one just because it's one that i don't think we've talked about before because you you do enough of these shows folks you start to repeat yourself a little bit um so just for the sake of novelty uh, i'm gonna do something a little different it's not that i have a stronger affinity for this particular film or its finale uh, above some of the other movies I have in front of me. But, you know, I don't think we've talked about this one. So why the fuck not? Uh, So for my pick, uh, (laughs) hot on the heels of Quentin Tarantino's masterpiece, The Inglorious Bastards, uh, I have perhaps Hollywood blacklisted Joe Carnahan's The Grey. Hmm. I say perhaps Hollywood blacklisted because something went wrong. Something went awry with Mr. Carnahan's career. And I don't know what, but he's not doing as well as he was when this movie came out. (laughs) Let's just leave it at that. Because I know he did that that boss level movie with his buddy, Frank Grillo. 
that got dumped on Hulu or some shit. Um, but beyond that, I, I don't know that he's been doing anything of note uh, over the past several years. But anyway, this movie, The Grey, I actually saw this in the theater and I'm really glad that I did um, because I, I feel like it heightened the experience. I don't think it's the best movie ever made or anything, but it is intense uh, and it it is uh, it does beat you the fuck down. <laughs> um, and that whole experience is heightened by, you know, the big screen and the big sound system. Um but specifically, the fantastic finale of this movie um, is is what was advertised. Um, and remember, mind you, this is in the uh, the post taken era of Liam Neeson's filmography. Um, so this movie was explicitly advertised as Liam Neeson boxing wolves in the wilderness. <laughs> um that is the finale of the movie, but it's not what was it's not the way it was advertised. It's handled much more tastefully um, to the film's credit, because the like the film was not building up to to an, a slam bang action finale. It was building up to the way this movie ends. Um, but yeah, it's basically a, a hopeless scenario, uh, kind of similar to Gamera, I guess. But this one's actually hopeless, as far as I can tell, um, where our hero, if you can call him that, our, our last surviving guy, basically, uh, is cornered in the wilderness by a pack of wolves. Um, and he braces himself uh, to do whatever he can to defend himself. And uh, he actually recites a poem uh, that if I was a better podcaster, I would have in front of me so I could recite it. <laughs> but something live and die on this day, I believe, is, re- is repeated a couple of times. Um, I believe uh, the story behind it is that Liam Neeson wrote it um, in response to his wife's passing. Um, so he actually, I think the words penned actually came from the man himself, if memory serves. Oh, I didn't know that. I could be bullshitting, but I do seem to remember hearing that because it does feel poignant somehow. Like it feels like, whoa, where did that come from? It's like, oh, well, you know, it just so happens that that was a thing that happened in his life not too long before this. But, um, but yeah, uh, be- there is no... There is no combat. Uh, it basically it's it's a snap to black, I believe. I actually haven't watched this since I saw it in the theater or since I got this Blu-ray rather. Um, but there is a post credits thing, apparently, that I didn't stick around for in the theater, but I did see it on the Blu-ray um, where I believe it's him laying alongside one of the wolves. And I think I think I forget who is breathing, but someone is still alive. Um he's not making it home. Like, like the point is he dies. <laughs> it's like he goes down swinging, but he, he dies. Everyone in this movie fucking dies. Um, this movie is absolutely brutal. <laughs> um, and a lot of it for me personally, the viewing experience of it, uh, was the cold, just how, uh, just irrepressibly cold it is in the whole film. It just makes you feel awful to just watch people. So be so miserable for so long. Um, and yeah, this is just a, a survival tale that doesn't end well for anyone, but it's uh, it's quite the journey. It's quite the struggle. Um, and I was really shocked um, by how mature the ending of it ended up being. Because again, the, it, the movie was advertised very heavily as Liam, Liam Neeson punching wolves. It's like no, like I think he I think he does punch a wolf at one point, but he, all he does is scare it off, and it's in the early goings. Uh, but the finale, it's just kind of like there's nothing left to do. And and then the movie ends. 
Um, have you seen this one, Brad? I love the gray. Enough said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, it's been a while, but I really liked gray. I was just curious. Um, I haven't seen it post getting letterbox, so I don't have it logged. Um, but ratings on this one are lower than I would have expected. Like I would say this for me is probably the highlight of Liam Neeson in the last 10, 15 years, unless I'm forgetting, like I like it more than taken for sure. I like it more than nonstop. Like I, I like those movies, but this one is not really that it's, it's, it's a, it's a different caliber of film. Um, it, yeah, like it, there is action and stuff, but it's more like it's a very introspective kind of thing. Um, and it is like it's a survival movie more than like, a you know, punching bad guys kind of thing. Yeah, I, I really like the gray. Um, so I'm surprised I'm looking at just like a lot of people I follow and a lot of threes like no, well, this is at least a four for me, at least. It's been a long time since I've watched it, but I could see perhaps like the uh, some of it being a little bit laborious for some people because it mm-hmm. is a it is a miserable, like dreadful experience in a lot of ways. It's not a pleasant movie to watch. Like it's not exciting. Like it's it's a, it it's thrilling, but it's it's not like entertaining, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and on top of that, uh, one of its strengths is a is how it handles basic logistics um, is it, it reminds you, and this is like one of life's most awful lessons it can teach you is that like simply getting from one place to another is some of the, the most arduous stuff you'll ever do in your life. <laughs> like, like there's that sequence where I think they're trying to scale a cliff or scale down a cliff. They, they have to like jump into a tree line or something and it it takes a very long time and you get to you get to watch every wrinkle in the process in a lot of ways um it reminds me of uh, sorcerer um which is probably the better film um but they do share some similarities in that they're both highly brutal films that uh don't shy away don't shy away from showing all the detail and all of the effort that goes into doing seemingly very simple things um in tricky situations um highly recommended if if you're in the mood for something similar to the gray yeah um yeah i mean i love survival thrillers so um but yeah i I do remember really liking the ending of the gray but it has been quite a while um yeah i might need to I need to pop on that 4k (laughs) would be nice on that one. I I mean, if Joe Carnahan is not doing as well as I think he is, I don't know if that's going to be on offer anytime soon. Plus, you know, Liam Neeson, you know, keeps doing interviews and (laughs) the the caliber of his film role seems to keep going down. Um, But have you seen a Scorsese's uh, silence? Cause I haven't. I have. Yeah. How I heard he shows up and he wrecks. He just like, he shows the fuck up. Yeah, no, he's quite good in that. Um, I kind of forgot. I always for, I always skip over that. Like, cause he's not the lead. So I didn't think, but yeah, yeah. Silence is probably the better film that he's done in the last 15 years. <laughs> but, um, yeah, silence is it's, I liked it actually, I think a lot more than most. Um, it is very long. It's, uh, very like, it's pretty slow. It's pretty, 
contemplative and, you know, it's tackling themes of, you know, religion and faith and belief and certainly not a fun watch. Um, but it, it is very good. And that's one that, yeah, I would definitely that I need to rewatch that at some point as well. Yeah, the the subject matter scared me away from that one, but I've I've heard it's very good. And in particular, I want to see it just to see him, just to see Liam Neeson, because I've, I've we've said this or I've said this several times in conversations with you. I've always had like a particular attachment or fascination with Liam Neeson as an actor. Um, and everything I, I read about it uh, suggested that like he commits to that role much more than than we've seen him do in a very, very long time. And I'm curious what that looks like. Yeah, um, I think I had that on my top 10 list the year it came out, but I could be wrong. I mean, it says quite a lot, especially considering it's a movie that doesn't get talked about at all. Like, at yeah. all. <laughs> yeah, I logged this bad boy as a 4.5. Um, oh, shit. So. Okay. Although I have well. to... I do have to say uh shout out to somebody I follow on Letterboxd Suntory Time. I uh liked their review of Silence. Uh they said beautifully boring. So- <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh that's enough of the gray. Uh Brad, what is your next pick? Well, let's go with uh you know, I've been talking, I've been doing kind of a lot of final scenes, final shots. Let me, let me go one that is more the climactic moment. It's not a final scene ending. And this is the ending, the climax, I suppose, of the killing of a sacred deer with Colin Farrell and Nicole Kidman. Um, so basically, this is a very weird movie uh it's yorgos lanthimos who i i love yorgos lanthimos one of my favorites working today for sure uh in a nutshell the plot is um colin farrell befriends uh barry keegan barry keoghan however you say his name um be partly because we find out he um colin farrell is a doctor he's got some guilt because uh he was responsibly i think he's a surgeon he was responsible for not saving uh, Barry Keegan's father. So he's got guilt for that. So he starts to become a father type figure to the boy. But the boy starts to get very weird. Um, basically, he invites Colin Farrell over to meet his mom and he wants them to get together and he wants Colin Farrell to be his real dad. Gets very weird. So Colin Farrell essentially like is like, this is getting too weird. And he cuts the kid off um, while Barry Keegan shows up. And he basically tells him, uh, if you don't, since you took my dad from me, if you don't kill somebody in your family, you will die or something, or, or, or your family members will get sick until they all die. If you don't kill one of them first. Um, and we never, it's kind of like a little bit fantastical. We never find out what exactly how this is happening, how he's going to plan on killing them. But eventually the kids start to uh, get sick and they start to bleed from the eyes. And um, basically it kind of builds to this point where Colin Farrell realizes that yes, he, he does have to kill somebody in his family and the climax of the movie, which is maybe one of my 
most memorable like images that I can think of a movie in recent years is Colin Farrell can't he's got a, a, a two kids and a wife can't decide who he's going to kill. So what he does is he um, ties them up, puts uh, bags over their heads. He puts on like a, a full like ski mask face mask kind of thing. So he can't see. He takes a rifle. He puts them all in a circle in the living room and he takes this rifle and nobody can see. Obviously, he's in the middle of them and he just starts spinning around and every once in a while he stops and shoots and he misses. Go spin some more stops and shoots. And he does that a few times. And just the image of Colin Farrell with this like ski mask on with his family around him spinning around with a right. Like it is just such a, a memorable, amazing image. And this this movie is full of great, like beautiful shots like but that idea is so good i think um that it's totally continued to stick with me and there is i believe a scene after that that kind of is like a little bit of a closing scene with barry keegan's character not super crazy about that final scene but uh that climax of colin farrell spinning around with a rifle shooting his family until one of them gets hit is uh pretty amazing and i won't spoil who gets hit i i don't need to say that necessarily just the the concept of it is what is amazing to me. Um, so yeah, this is, this is a real good one, real good one. <laughs> well, I appreciate you, uh, saving a little sliver of the, of the spoilers there. Cause, uh, I haven't seen that one, but, um, my brother kind of turned me on to, to Lanthimos, uh, as a director, uh, he did have me watch the lobster. Um, and part of it was, he, it was like a kind of a litmus test where he was like, so I think this movie's hilarious. Not everyone does, but I do. And he was like, how do you feel about it? And I was like, yeah, it's pretty fucking funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, not everybody would agree with that, but I guess that tells you how, how my brother and I are wired. <laughs> um, but as a result of having been introduced to that film, I'm very, very curious to explore more of his filmography. Uh, and that film, uh, I believe Kyle speaks very highly of as well. Um, so I'm very curious to check it out. I think that was the first time uh, Barry Keegan or Keoghan or however it's pronounced uh, popped up onto my radar. Um, a lot of people's radars for that matter, um, or at least in our region in the U.S. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, I, I really just want to see what that like how that's framed, like how that's mm-hmm. shot, because I can picture it in my head, but without confirming like how what the shot compositions were like. Like I'm actually really kind of really interested to check that out. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, there's like so many like memorable images like that in this movie that you almost kind of maybe get a sense that he just had these ideas and these images in his head and built the rest of the movie around it. Like, um, the kids, as they get sick, they start bleeding from the eyes and then they start to be where they can't walk. And so there's just this, like these children just crawling around on the floor, bleeding from the eyes. Um, and they know that uh, Colin Farrell, to make it stop, is going to have to kill one of them. Oh. So um, they're like trying to like get in his good graces. So they're like crawling on the floor, bleeding from the eyes and like, <laughs> they, 
father, come check out this. Uh, come, come check out my uh, te- my homework and come play with me. And but, and but just like so, it's so absurd and dark, and it's 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 awesome. No, see, see how I'm laughing at your description of that. Like again, mm-hmm. that tells you a little something about how I'm wired. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely. I mean, I could see people watching it and not thinking it's funny, but it's definitely very darkly comic. Like, there's also when Colin Farrell is deciding who to kill he like goes to the kids school and their schools and he starts asking about their grades like i don't want to kill the smart one yeah (laughs) yeah i should i should probably check that out sounds like like you're already having me laugh at at the movie without having seen it (laughs) yeah Yeah, i'll have to check that out yeah okay so time code is roughly that um so uh, I'm going to call this my last pick. Um, you good to go another round, Brad, or how you feeling? Uh, I mean, it's up to you. I can do one more. Or we can just go right into the uh, speed round. If you have one that you're really wanting to talk about, you, you of course, may go another round. Uh, but I think this is going to be my last pick. Yeah, we can. I, I can just do the speed round, I think, after this. Yeah. OK, well, uh What's it going to be? What's it going to be? Okay. Well, uh, again, I'm, I'm doing, I'm kind of trying to focus in the second half of the episode here on stuff that we haven't talked about before, uh, just for novelty's sake. So again, this is not something that I think is better than any of the other movies I have in front of me. It's just, you know, something to talk about. Uh, so I have here a completely bare bones, uh, universal Blu-ray, um, I'm pretty sure a 4K exists of this by now. Ha- I, I mean, it'd be kind of weird if it didn't. Of uh, Brian De Palma's uh, Scarface, mm. uh, featuring Al Pacino. Um, so this is both uh, a, a fantastic finale in in terms of climax, as well as a fantastic finale in terms of final shot. Um, it achieves both in one one fell swoop. Um, so this is a movie that is beloved by a lot of people for all the wrong reasons. Um, <laughs> it is a delightful piece of entertainment, but there's a lot of life lessons imparted to a lot of the wrong people via this movie. <laughs> um, a lot of it having to do with, with greed and uh, drug use um, <laughs> and violence and whatnot. But um, this movie uh, was a really big deal um, for like me and my friends when we were in high school. But uh, the finale of it is particularly, particularly memorable um, in that it's like a slam bang, like action climax, but um, there's a lot of layers to it as well. Like, like Brian De Palma knows how to make a fucking movie. And I believe uh, Oliver Stone penned the script for this one, if memory serves. Uh, um, but basically we have a scenario where our title character or yeah, our title character, Scarface, uh, Tony Montana, played by Al Pacino, uh, is in his mansion. Uh, the Colombians want his ass. Uh, he's going to get he's going to get shot. Everybody wants him dead tonight. Um, and he's reached a point in his career of criminality that uh, he's backed into a corner. There's nowhere else to go physically or otherwise. Um, and not only that, he's severed every connection he has with humanity and and just like goodness in his world. Um, so he's had this weird fucking psychosexual connection with his sister uh, who tries to moita him because he moited her husband 
who is also his best friend. Uh, and then he ends up killing her or no, she gets shot. Excuse me. Uh, she gets shot by the Colombians, but then he, he kills the person who killed her point is he killed his best friend. And then his sister, who is basically the only person who gave a shit about him, his, his mom hated him. Um, and now she's dead. And all he has left is a mountain of cocaine and an M16 with a grenade launcher. <laughs> um, so he just he takes a lot of cocaine. Uh, he does it all in one in one huff. Uh, and then uh, say hello to my little friend. Uh, he blows open the door and what follows is, you know, two, two and a half minutes of Al Pacino shooting the fuck out of people uh, in our ultra gaudy 80s mansion. Um but like, like I said, there are actual layers to it. It's it's not just him shooting people. Like we, like you can actually dig a little deeper, and it's really fascinating the way he finally meets his end because he gets shot numerous times during this finale here, but he keeps shrugging it off and getting like he's on a lot of coke. <laughs> like I'm sure he's not exactly feeling all of all of the wounds that are being inflicted on him. He will die eventually, but. For the time being, for for a good solid couple of minutes of screen time, he seems utterly invincible. Like he's just wrecking people's shit, and every time they shoot him, he gets back up and keeps going. And he's he's the shortest Terminator that ever was, um, but he's the he's not the T eight hundred. He's the T four hundred. Yeah, the Cuban model. It's like they didn't produce many of them, uh, but in his final moments, what what's the killing blow to him is actually uh, a pair of shotgun shells to the back. Uh, he, he, his last moments on earth are spent cussing out people hiding, hiding in the rubble, um, gesticulating and flailing about wildly, <laughs> basically ranting and raving about how he's invincible. Nobody can touch him. He's the baddest motherfucker that ever was. And then he gets shot in the back and he falls off the balcony into a pool and then there's this lovely, lovely crane shot that that has the ironic "the world is yours." It's like not when you're dead. <laughs> it's it's a he has a golden globe hung in his home that says "the world is yours," um, and yeah, he dies face down in a pool. Um, and it's just like all all the bravado, all the violence, all the all the masculinity in the world can't save you from a shot to the back. Um, and thus is the tale of Scarface. Um, it's a truly legendary finale in in trash eighty cinema. Um, such I forget what movie it was, but like the, I actually saw clips of the finale of Scarface embedded in another movie. I can't remember what movie it was, but it's like on in the background of some other movie. Um, that that sounds right. Seeing. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing it when I was a little kid and I was like, what the fuck was that? And my dad was like, well, son, that's Scarface. <laughs> Someday your life will be changed by Scarface, hopefully for the better or not at all. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know why this one popped into my head while we were talking. I actually pulled it off the shelf while we were talking for some reason, but I haven't watched it in a long time. But for whatever reason, in having talked about it just now, I kind of Man, I have a lot of things I gotta either rewatch or or go out of my way to watch right fucking now because there's too many good yeah. movies out there, Brad. It happens. It happens. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, uh, I have not seen Scarface. Uh, I've seen the ending, obviously. Okay. Uh, good. Probably good, just good, on good. YouTube or whatever. But okay. uh, yeah, I've never seen the whole thing. I own it. 
I've got the 4K, the aforementioned 4K, um, but I guess it's mostly that runtime. Um, but it's, you know, it's De Palma, so I definitely need to pop on it because I really like De Palma. But there, there is some other De Palma that I also haven't seen. Like, I haven't seen Dressed to Kill. I have that. Um, so there's, I've got some blind spots in his uh, filmography. But the weird thing with Scarface is it feels like it's kind of a movie that's transcended uh his filmography a little bit like oh oh yeah it it is it's like in the grand scheme of his filmography it's one of the better remembered ones by mainstream audiences but it is not indicative of of his flavor for the most Mm -hmm. part like it does have his hitchcockian tension sequences it has several of those like that that you haven't seen it but there's a, a sequence earlier in the film um, that has some cinematography and some editing that's very much his brand. Um, Carlito's Way is kind of a spiritual successor to Scarface in some ways that it does that as well. There's a, a sequence involving trains uh, that's very much him. But but yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it's a its cultural footprint is outsized uh, in in connection with his filmography in particular. Yeah, I think I just want to play the uh, Scarface The World Is Yours video game before I watch the movie. <laughs> I remember to, when that uh, came out. Do that. that was yeah. a PS2 game, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. I think it came out, uh, funny enough, directly inspired a lot of the Grand Theft Auto games from that era. GTA Vice City is Scarface, essentially. Um and then, funny enough, everything comes around again. Uh, they ended up making a Scarface video game because, you know, it inspired some video games that were doing really well at the time. So it's like, hey, why not slap the Scarface brand on our, one of our own and make it half as good? <laughs> I actually heard it isn't terrible. I, I yeah. never played it myself. Yeah, there was quite a few of those. There was I know there was a Reservoir Dogs game. Uh, I believe there was a Godfather game. Yeah. Um, yeah, very no Goodfellas game, I don't think, but Goodfellas, I think there was a Sopranos game. Yeah, that's yeah, it makes sense. Pretty sure. And then there was a uh, there was a a PS2 era game called The Getaway. It was a sequel, I think, uh, or it was a franchise that was heavily inspired by like Guy Ritchie stuff of the day. Um, There was a lot of interesting like movie tie in or, or media like cross promotion going on in that era most of it was bad but every once in a while you got a king kong the video game where yeah Peter Jackson was actually involved in the making of the thing and was like deeply connected with with the production of it i kind of miss those days i gotta be honest like i kind of like when there was like so much video game tie-in movies coming out like now you know every once in a while you'll get something that's kind of tied in but more just like a character or a franchise. And usually they're very good, but I kind of missed the days where it was like, no matter what you were into, there was a video game for it. Like it was kind of fun. I don't know. Yeah. And it was on every console and it was yeah, it, basically 80% chance it was going to be total fucking garbage, but we all played it. You know, yeah. we all had weekends where you wanted to rent those games. Actually, that was like a pet project for catching up on cinema. It maybe just something divorced from catching up on cinema would, probably be more appropriate but i actually kind of wanted to do that as like a project it was like either stream or review movie tie-in games from back in the day and maybe maybe take a look at some of the the movies themselves because you're absolutely right we were 
inundated with them. Like one of the funniest ones that comes to my mind is uh, a movie that came out on Blu-ray within the past year that I, the only reason I am aware of it is because it was advertised really, really heavily in a lot of comic books I was reading at the time. Um, but there's a Ray Liotta starring film called a uh, no escape that the cover art is him holding a bazooka like this. And I think Ernie Hudson's in there and I, I'm, it's from a, his name escapes me at the moment, but it's the director of the mask of Zorro and a uh, golden eye and casino. Mm. Royale. Um, Martin Campbell. Thank you. I, I couldn't remember in the moment, but yes, you're absolutely right. It's from him, but I think it's like just before all of that. And there exists a Super Nintendo game of it. And I don't know anyone on this planet who's seen that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, like, I don't know anyone. I've never met a human being who has seen No Escape. See, the that's only reason awesome. I even remember it is because there's a fucking advertisement for it in every comic I was reading at the time. But yeah, I've heard the game sucks. <laughs> uh, back to Scarface, though. Uh, Brad, uh, I'm, I'm going to guess just based on the vibe. And I'm going to confirm it by reading the box. Giorgio Moroder. Yeah. Giorgio Moroder did the score for Scarface. He, and he did a bang up job. Yeah. Do, are you familiar with it at all? I don't know if I am. It's a, it's interesting actually. Cause like most people, when they think of Scarface, they think of the, uh, the, the cokehead, like, dance dance yippee yayo music yeah. <laughs> it's just like michelle pfeiffer doing the noodle arms dance <laughs> strung out on cocaine everyone in this movie's on the coke <laughs> she even has a little spoon um but most people think of that like the the crazy dance music that plays through it like push it to the limit and all that shit but the actual score for the movie um it's heavily electronic like it's all synth um, but it, it sounds like eulogy music or something. Like it's, huh. it sounds funereal in tone, um, and it play and it plays over the closing moments of the film. It's the actual theme of the movie. Um, it has like kind of a a little bit of a disco funk vibe uh, during the opening credit sequence in the film. Very good score, underrated. Not it's not talked about enough because it's grossly overshadowed by "Push It to the Limit," which is you know. <laughs> A great ass song but you know yeah. <laughs> it does other things jerry <laughs> uh so uh i think that's about it for scarface but um did you say you wanted to head into the speed round then yeah i think uh, the rest of these i can kind of burn through i think so yeah i i have too many picks in fact i probably just won't talk about a lot of them just because i have too many um but uh would you like me to go first or are you ready to, to go? Yeah, I can uh, I can handle it. I, I've actually I'll go first because I got two that I can tie into. Scarface. Oh, perfect, perfect, perfect. Um, first one being uh, the Godfather uh, trilogy, but I will not be counting Godfather part three. Not crazy about that ending, but I obviously the first one has an iconic final shot. Um, and I actually really like the second ending out quite a bit the idea that he's made it to the top but he's all alone um i think that's a fantastic ending also another brian de palma film blowout uh the idea of john travolta 
using the scream of uh, Nancy. Is it Allen? Yeah, Nancy yeah. Allen and using it in his film and continually uh, torturing himself because of the guilt of what he's done. Classic ending. A uh, couple here about, you know, I, I actually I, I like uh, movies about relationships, I guess, uh, specifically endings regarding relationships. Um, and I have here uh, Lost in Translation, which I'm pretty sure most people know the ending of that, the the, the whisper that you don't hear, um, which is an amazing ending. Um, and uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Uh, obviously Jim Carrey, Kate Winslet get their minds erased, their, their memories of each other erased. Um, but they end up meeting each other again, find out about their failed relationship and agree to give it another go. But then the final shot shows them running on the snow covered beach and we have it. The, the, it repeats itself three times. We watch the same shot three times and kind of signaling that they potentially continue to fall in love and have a turbulent relationship and erase each other from each other's memories again. Um, uh, the social network, social network, which uh, I think has a 4k that I don't own. Although the 4k might only be in like the Sony classic or the Columbia classic, whatever. But uh, I, I'm a sucker for the ending of this one. The uh, whole thing of Mark Wahlberg or fuck. <laughs> well, i was on a roll there for a second podcast over yeah. um no mark zuckerberg having started this whole thing wouldn't because be, of getting wouldn't facebook uh, be a much more interesting company if marky mark was the ceo <laughs> i i tell you it's not even a great company now who knows what it'd be like if he was i don't even want to think about um hey, but bro uh, you gotta get some more friends <laughs> um but uh yeah just the uh final scene of him going looking that girl up that started this all essentially and uh sending her that facebook friend request and just sitting there and slowly hitting refresh every so often i think is a perfect bow on the end of that one Mm -hmm. um first reformed from uh uh not not Paul Verhoeven, Paul Schrader. I always get them confused. Uh, Paul Schrader, Schrader up uh, in this one. I don't even, I won't even say much about it, but just it involves Ethan Hawke straddling himself with barbed wire while he has a bomb strapped to his chest. That's all I'll say. Okay. That's all you I need. heard that was a very good movie. Uh, it is very good. Yeah. Yeah. It is it's solid it's and a lot of it is because of the ending okay um and i guess i'll just mention the last one here yeah i don't need to say anything. Uh, last one i'll say the, the hurt locker um which uh i just I, I i mentioned this i think uh in a recent episode i did just the idea of uh a war movie trying to do something different thematically and the idea of the hurt locker he ends up going home and the only thing worse than war is having to go to the grocery store with your wife and him relisting, which I think is a, a very interesting take on war. The idea that he's become so uh, addicted to the intensity of it that he can't go back to normal life. I think that is a, 
a really great ending that then that that idea doesn't really come into play until the final five minutes of the movie even which um yeah so it's another good one so so love a good ending love a good ending damn you got some bangers in there yeah, uh, well, yeah. i haven't seen uh the hurt locker i kind of just like deliberately avoided it mm, um mm-hmm. but uh, I saw, I think, the first 20, 30 minutes of it, though, and it was it was compelling. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think uh, around the time I it wasn't up to me, but around the time I had to stop watching it was they were uh, pinned down by a sniper and everybody was very tired and very bored and very stressed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'd like to go back and rewatch it, um, but or watch it rather. Um but yeah, good picks, Brad. I, I like when you have a lot of stuff for the speed round. It's 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 more fun that way. <laughs> a lot of good endings out there. A lot of good endings. There are. There are. Um, so uh, I guess the ball is to me. So um, I'll actually start with uh, one from the same director as Brad's last pick there. Uh, so it'd be Catherine Bigelow, um, Zero Dark Thirty. Um, I only saw this very recently as part of my watch every Scott watch and own every Scott Adkins movie ever. He's in three shots of this thing. He points a gun at somebody. He does not discharge his firearm. though. He just points it at someone and they gets exploded. So that was Scott Adkins's entire participation in zero dark 30. Very, very good film though. I, I, I was actually really taken by how, like how quality this movie is overall. Again, uh, very laborious, very tedious, um, shows every step of a very boring process in a lot of ways, um, such that it grates on you from time to time. Very much not a film for everybody, but for me, I really enjoyed it. Um, And the closing moments and shot of this movie are great. Um, Where do you want to go now? (laughs) <laughs> that's that's our main character's answer after devoting their life uh to one cause and one cause only for a very very long time um that's a good final line that is a good final line yeah like you, you can go anywhere you want where do you want to go i don't know <laughs> uh so uh quality performance from jessica chastain who i chronically overlook like i, I know she's good I just don't generally see things that she does, um, but she was excellent in that. Um, I have a uh, Michael Mann uh, heat uh, kind of similar ending to collateral in some ways. There's that, that weird like cop and robber kind of, we, we share a weird metaphysical connection. It's it's, we don't quite understand, but somehow we're connected. Um, also a little bit of a deliberate homage to uh Bullet, if memory serves, uh, the Steve McQueen movie. Um, also an excellent movie that I don't own. Um, I have uh, 1986 Transformers, the movie, basically the movie that shaped me as a human being till all are one, uh, followed by uh, Orson Welles uh, as a detached giant head orbiting the planet, freeze frame, butt rock. Best ending ever. <laughs> uh i have godzilla 2014 on 4k which was apparently 14.99 i better get the gugon out (laughs) i almost pulled that one off well i only have the blu-ray but that was in consideration for me it was a weird 4k actually i i i actually only had this on like 
I had it on Blu-ray, then my aunt mailed me the DVD because she thought I needed it. (laughs) Um, But if memory serves, the 4K for this one didn't come out until like several years after the Blu-ray release. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Which was odd, um, especially considering this is a wonderful candidate for the format. Beautiful imagery in this movie. Really like this. This movie just keeps growing in terms of my appreciation for it. Like as time goes on. Um, and I've said it before on the show, the last shot of this movie, he fucking did it. Like he got it. Like he he knew what to do. That's how you end a Godzilla movie, goddammit. Just he goes underwater and it's over. That's it. Done. No more movie. It's over. There's nothing else to do. You think I care about Aaron Taylor Johnson? No. <laughs> no, absolutely not. The lizard's gone, I'm out. <laughs> Roll credits. Uh, I have from director. Steven Spielbergo, the greatest home run in cinema history, aside from perhaps the blowing up of the Death Star. Smile, you son of a bitch. Uh, As well as not what it says on the cover. Fuck off. Um, (laughs) But Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. Not Jurassic World. Jurassic Park. Um, When that T-Rex shows up, and saves the day and you know that entire 10 minute piece of john williams music that plays along with it mmm that's cinema also um, i love the final moments yes, with the, the helicopter. helicopter and yeah. the kids sleeping on allen and the birds i mean beautiful character <laughs> moment yeah yeah absolutely beautiful uh was it uh rudoni kenshin the uh, the legend ends. Uh, this is the third movie out of five movie series. Um, part four and five have yet to come out on a physical format in this country. Really fucking pissed about it. Only available on Netflix. Um, <laughs> the the last half hour of that movie is just like action, just just action gorgeousness. It's just unbelievably cool. Um, and uh, have the rocky collection because basically all these movies end brilliantly uh with perhaps the exception of five uh, sue me for what <laughs> but, um you know ain't gonna be no rematch don't want one adrian blah, 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 blah. I, I watch a lot of rocky um i have oh the girlfriend's note is still on this one from when we did the the grab bag episode, the ghastly grab bag where uh, (laughs) uh, folks, if you're not aware, Brad and I did a tales from the shelf uh, episode where he and I uh, had our significant others um, select movies from our collections without telling us and put them in a sack for us to pull out on the, on the spot. And this was one that the girlfriend pulled out. Uh, This is Mike judges Beavis and butthead do America. Um, They find their TV it's beautiful. <laughs> they lost it, but they got it back. <laughs> um, I have. Sorry if this is going on too long. You can always give me the high sign if you're fed up. No, you're good, man. I like this. OK, cool. Uh, I have um, the Street Fighter collection, the three film Sunny Chiba collection from Shout, Sel- uh, Shout Factory, Shout Select series number spine number 65, by the way. Um, all three of these movies end wonderfully. First one ends with him uh, tearing the throat out of some guy and then holding it up to the sky while rain and thunder pour down upon him. Credits. 
just the words the end credits and then fade to black the second one ends with the bad guy getting blown up in a car fire sonny tiba going <laughs> credits <laughs> and then uh the third one ends with uh his lady love accidentally getting blown up in a car fire and then him going no <laughs> That wasn't for you. That was for the bad guy. <laughs> um, I have, uh, speaking of Oliver Stone, uh, I have Platoon. Uh, Charlie Sheen gets a ride home uh, and he is forever changed. And you can tell just by, you know, the visuals and whatnot. Um, I have a Mortal Kombat box set that's going to make you puke in your lap uh it's mortal kombat mortal kombat annihilation and mortal kombat legacy there is a mortal kombat legacy 2 but i don't have it so this is an incomplete box i just hurt myself (laughs) Um, i'm specifically referring to the ending of mortal kombat where frank welker says and since you weak pathetic fools (laughs) i've come for your souls (laughs) and then uh christopher lambert says i don't think so and then you know the theme music plays it's it's the Super Mario Brothers ending where it's like you'll never believe this, guys. There's gonna be a sequel. No, there's not. <laughs> Although in Mortal Kombat's case, they got they got a couple. Uh, Orca, the killer whale. Super sad fucking ending if you actually think about it. Uh, you have you seen this one, Brad? No, I haven't seen this one. Okay, this is an eat 'em up that you might want to check out just because yeah. it's really it's very ludicrous in some ways, but one of Ennio Morricone's most beautiful scores most beautiful absolutely beautiful uh haunting hauntingly beautiful and it's about a fucking whale (laughs) i hate whales they're smug (laughs) um but yeah the finale of this one involves um basically every human character meeting some form of grizzly end and then morricone's music plays and it just ends it's just like everybody's dead you happy no, too bad. <laughs> you already paid. Um, Indiana Jones, Complete Adventures, now incomplete, rendered incomplete uh, by the production of a fifth Indiana Jones movie, which is yet to come out, but they do have trailers. It is happening. Uh, I'm specifically referring to uh, The Last Crusade, the, the ride into the sunset, which should have been the ride into the sunset, but... That's why we can't have nice things. Uh, Ron Howard's Backdraft. Um, divisive movie. Some people think it's way too fucking corny. I really like it. It's melodramatic as fuck. Um, it's so over the top. So unbelievably over the top. All the all the dramatic beats are just blown totally out of proportion. But um, Hans Zimmer. Uh, this was the first time I really keyed in on Hans Zimmer as a composer. Aside from maybe uh rain man um his score for backdraft is phenomenal um and the piece of music that he he composed for the finale of this movie the last shots of it as far as i can tell i've never confirmed this but as far as i can tell it was so good that he actually ruined the edit of the movie like the movie actually slows down and like holds on a random shot of Billy Baldwin just so we can queue up with the music. It, it's ridiculous. It's a completely like it's an unmotivated long close up of Billy Baldwin yeah. looking out a window 
And I think the only reason it exists is so we can time it to the music. And they just, you know, Ron Howard had made like one movie before this. <laughs> Give him a break. <laughs> uh, Little Shop of Horrors, uh, specifically the director's cut ending um, that features all the unbelievably cool miniature work. Um, have you seen the director's cut ending of this, Brad? I don't think I have. Maybe I looked it up because I know you guys covered it. Maybe I watched it on YouTube when you guys covered it recently, but I know for sure I've never seen the full director's cut. Mm, well, at least I, I assume I, I mean, maybe I've only seen one version of the movie. I assume it's not the director's cut, but you can find it on YouTube. Um, it's really cool, though. Uh, they they put a lot of sweat and tears into building the, the miniatures. Uh, the mm -hmm. special effects are like top of the line for the time. Uh, weirdly expensive movie. Little, little shop of horrors like if you look into the production history it's like huh <laughs> like, like really it, i mean the money is kind of on the screen like like the time required to get the puppetry the the timing down on the lip sync and stuff was probably maddening but anyway uh moving on uh sam peckinpah's the wild bunch fucking fantastic finale like one of the best shootouts in cinema history uh, highly telegraphed in the first opening moments of the movie, but doesn't get much better than the Wild Bunch. Uh, and then I guess uh, a last one here is a, a movie that I believe we covered on uh, Catching Up on Cinema at one point. Um, I have the uh, both the Korean DVD of The City of Violence as well as the Dragon Dynasty uh, domestic DVD of City on City of Violence. This one's foreign region. Um, the the closing line: uh, Everybody's dead except for uh, one guy. It's just, camera zooms in while he's sitting in a pile of his own blood. Oh fuck! <laughs> <laughs> Snap to black. <laughs> it's, fuck. <laughs> it's it's uh, it doesn't get more uh, blunt than that. It's like, I like wow. It. That was a lot of violence. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was probably all the fantastic finales I have. So <laughs> sorry for that. No, there's some good ones in there. Killer picks. Okay. Well, uh, this was a really fun one, Brad. Um, I'll have to go back and edit the time codes in there to alert people of spoilers and whatnot. But uh, uh, thank you so much, as always, for joining me. I really appreciate having someone to bounce ideas off of yeah of course man yeah uh but before we go uh would you care to tell the folks at home where they can find you and your super awesome podcast yeah it's the cinema speak podcast so uh you can find us itunes stitcher spotify wherever you listen to shows we're on twitter at the cinema speak on instagram as cinema speak podcast and on YouTube as CinemaSpeak. And uh, you can listen to us uh, on the web at cinemaspeak.libsyn.com. All right. Well said. Uh, thanks for all that, Brad. Uh, by the way, uh, how's your... Uh, I see you have your Funkos out on your shelf. Uh, are, are those all gifts or are you a collector in your own right? Mm, mostly gifts. few I've bought on my own, but mostly gifts. Yeah, I, it's funny because a Funko is apparently based uh, not too far from where I live, um, and uh, like you can actually like do tours of the of the factory or the or the company. Um, I was invited at one point, but I've yet to go. 
Yeah. Uh, but it's it was really kind of incredible how much that that took off, like how much oh, this yeah. became a thing. Like they have Funkos for fucking everything now. Yeah, I I, I like them half ironically, half unironically. I I want to say that's probably most people yeah. are into. It. Yeah, you'd be, there's a lot of people out there who are fully unironically love them, but well, not my kind of people. <laughs> like, well, anyway, uh, thanks for all that. But uh, folks at home, if you'd like to uh, catch up on any of our other catching up on cinema content, you can find all of that collected on our website. Uh, at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, you can also find us on the social medias in the form of the Instagram at catchinguponcinema, as well as the Twitter at catchingcinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including Bitcade uh, and occasionally YouTube. Uh, so feel free to uh, check it out any way you can. But uh, that being said, thank you so much for listening and or watching. And, uh, We'll catch you next time.